Our scripture read this morning is actually going to be different than the one that's in your bulletin. And we'll be reading from, from Luke chapter 18, verses 18 to 30. Luke 18, verses 18 to 30. And a ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, All these I have kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, One thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. But when he had heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. Jesus, looking at him with sadness, said, How difficult is it for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God? For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, Who then can be saved? But he said, What is impossible with men is possible with God. Peter said, See, we have left all our homes and followed you. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there was no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this life and in the age to come eternal life. This is the word of the Lord. I uh, came to a, a rude realization yesterday. I realized that in the 19 years since I became a Christian, that no one has ever tried to share the gospel with me. Apart from, from maybe a couple of times when I lived in Toronto and, and had people give me a tract, a gospel tract, Nobody has ever been concerned enough about my eternal salvation that they came to share the gospel with me. Does that strike you as odd? I don't have a C on my forehead that helps people to know that I'm a Christian. I don't walk around waving a Bible everywhere I go that anybody would have any idea that I I'm a born-again follower of Jesus Christ. So why is it in a country where so many profess to be Christians, where so many who claim to be followers of Jesus Christ have not been faithful out of love for God and love for me to share the gospel? The first time that I heard the gospel, I was 23 years old. A lady came into the store that I was working in and handed me a gospel tract. It said on the, on the cover, it said, Smile, Jesus loves you. And it had some key verses that we would all know, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, that we are saved by grace through faith, through, sorry, we are saved by grace through faith, is not of ourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast. 
and also Romans 3.23 and Romans 6.23 and some, some really key Bible verses. Now, I never saw that lady again. And pretty good chance I will never see her again until glory. Until I walk up to that lady and give her a huge hug and say, what you gave me saved my life. You see, that gospel tract kept me from jumping off the 20th floor of my balcony to my death. Because I found hope in that gospel tract. And then a few days after that, I heard the full gospel proclaimed and repented and was saved. But prior to that, I had never heard the gospel. Why is that? Now, some of us have been praying in this church for revival for, for the past few months. Now, we're going to keep on doing that. But how does revival happen? How does revival happen? Obviously, it's a work of the Lord, otherwise we wouldn't be praying for it. We pray that the Holy Spirit would be pleased to work in hearts to bring revival in this place, in this church, in this city, in this country, and around the world. We pray that the Lord would do that. But the same God that ordained the ends also ordained the means, and the means that the Lord ordained by which people would be saved is us. You and I. The Lord has commanded that we would go and preach the gospel. We need to tell people that they need to repent and be saved. Romans 10, 13 to 17 says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call upon him who they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him who, um, who, sorry, of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? It is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what has been heard from us? Now, the only way that my size 13 clodhoppers are going to be called beautiful feet is as I proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want to ask this morning, raise your hand if, if you have shared the gospel with somebody in the last week. Okay, what about, the, keep it up, what about the last month? What about the last year? What about ever? Does that strike you as odd? So why is it? Why don't we share the gospel with others? Are you convinced that it's the gospel that saves people? It's the only way that people are going to be saved according to God's word. 
But ask yourself here, do any of these apply to you? Laziness. Misplaced priorities. Lack of understanding of the biblical gospel. Fear of man. Lack of love for the lost. Lack of love for the Lord. Now, of course, all of these will apply to each one of us at various times in our lives. But if we're not sharing the gospel with people, something is wrong. We are being disobedient to the command of Jesus Christ in our lives. Jesus said in Matthew 22, 37 to 40, that the greatest commandments are you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all of the law and the prophets. So I need to ask you this morning, do you love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength? I've got to confess, I don't always do that. Often I don't do that. You see, I can't stand here and, and really help you to overcome these things. I can proclaim the truth that we need to do this, but I can't cause love for God and love for the lost to, gen- to, to, to be generated in your heart. You can't cause love for God and love for others to be generated in your heart. You can't overcome the fear of man that causes us to be disobedient. You need God to do that in your heart. So if you're not being faithful in those ways, or in any way that you realize, and maybe some of you hopefully are being convicted right now of ways that you are not loving God and loving others, confess it. Confess it. 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, we are, he, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And you've heard me preach on this before. That word confess in the Greek is homologio. It's to say the same thing. So to confess your sin to God is to say, I sinned in this particular area. It's to agree with God that you hate it. You're not holding back any excuse. that you're not trying to justify yourself. You're calling sin for what it is. But God is faithful not only to forgive us, but also to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I know for many years I focused on the first half of that verse. I focused on the forgiveness aspect, but there's also the cleansing aspect. That part of the confession process is as God forgives us, he changes our hearts and he makes us begin to hate our sin. He makes us to hate our laziness, to hate our procrastination, to hate our fear of man, to hate the lack of love for others, to hate the lack of love for him, to change us, to make us more like Christ. Brothers and sisters, we have been predestined to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. If you are a believer, 
you are growing in Christ-likeness. Of course, we all sin from time to time. But what is the overall picture of your life? Are you looking more like Jesus? Or are you stagnating in your sin and being, being conformed to the world? Men looking more and more like the world. Ask yourself that. Ask yourself that. Ask the Lord to reveal this to you. You see, when we don't talk about the things of God with each other and with the lost, we are revealing, we're revealing a lack of love for God. If you have heard, had a conversation with me in the last, in the last week or so, or the last couple months, hands up if you've heard me talk about Jane in the last, I mean, probably a lot of you, if you've talked with me, I've talked about Jane because she is very important to me. You talk about the things that are important to you. Grandparents, nobody has to twist your arm to get you to talk about your grandkids. My parents just recently became grandparents for the first time because I've been a little slow out of the block. And they are so excited when they talk about Kate. Their, their faces just light up because, because my niece Kate is important to them. So is God important to you? If he is, conversation about him will characterize your life. But I can't help you with that. I can't make that happen. I pray that it would. But this is something you've got to do business with God in your heart if this isn't happening. But some of these things we can help you with. One of my, my roles as a pastor is to equip you. To equip you for the work of evangelism. Now you've heard me say this before, but church is primarily for the church. What do I mean by that? This is not to be the primary place of soul winning. The primary place of soul winning is out there. Yes, if you have unbelieving friends and, and neighbors, you should invite them to church. You should do that. And you hear me preach the gospel week in, week out. Because the gospel is not just something that you needed back then when you were first saved. The gospel is something you need and I need today every bit as much as that first day when we were saved. So yes, you should invite people to church. And yes, they will hear the gospel preached here. But the primary place of evangelism is out there. Out there, out on the streets of Kelowna, out in your, in your neighborhoods, when you're getting your hair cut, at the bank, at the grocery store, over the back fence. And so it's my responsibility to help equip you to be able to do that, to be able to build you up to go out there and do it. Wouldn't you love to see this church filled? Not just with transfer growth, not just with people who have come from other churches, but with new converts, with new believers in Christ. 
so that we can walk with them and disciple them and help them to grow more like Christ. And that's why we've asked these men to come here this weekend to help equip you as evangelists, to be able to help you to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because one of the, the, the problems sometimes is that we feel that we're not equipped. We feel that we're not able to do what we have to do. So we've had these men, we've had, we've had Paul and David and, and Casey to come and to share with us. And to help train us according to uh, the way of the master. Now, Jesus is the master, and the master's way is to follow the way of Jesus. And I'll be talking for a few minutes afterwards about Luke 18 and the way of the master. But I would love for for the men to come up for a moment and to to share with us a little bit about what what we learned over over the weekend. So, come on up, Paul. So, my name is Paul. Um, and I live out in uh, Mission. Uh, normally Sunday morning, I'd be over at Sovereign Grace Baptist Church. It's an independent uh, Baptist church. And actually, our pastor is the son of somebody that uh, Eugene uh, knows, Cecil Savage. So I don't know if any of you know Cecil. Um, but uh, that's where we normally are. Um, I have a wife and I have two children. They were uh, both adopted as they were infants, and uh, we currently have our name in to adopt two other children, and so we're just waiting for that to happen sometime, um, Lord willing, within the next year. So that's who I am. I want to thank you all for opening up your church. Um, it It was great to be able to come here. It was a blessing to be able to share with you. And for you to open the church so that people, there were people here uh, that came from Vernon um, that wanted to witness, and they went out and they they just wanted to get together and learn. So people from Kelowna, people from Vernon, you've got uh, like-minded believers that uh, are just down the road. Um, Like John, um, not John in the Bible, John. Um, I was walking through a Walmart several years ago. I think it was seven years ago or something. Somebody handed me a tract. It was a gospel tract. They said, this is for you. They passed it to me. I couldn't tell you if it was a man. I couldn't tell if it was a woman. They didn't say anything else to me, and I never saw their face. I took the tract. I put it at home on my bulletin board after reading it, and I thought, okay, whatever. I then took that tract down about six months later. I read the back of that tract, and I went, that's an interesting message. That's okay. I'm a Christian. I go to a church. Put it back up on my bulletin board. Six months later, I took it down again, and I read it. And I went, what is this saying? Like, what is this saying? And I started digging into what the true gospel message was, which we were now receiving at our church. And that tract changed my life. And I'm so thankful to have her passed it to me. So, over the last couple of days, we were able to share downstairs. We had a bunch of the youth and some of the adults that were out. And it's my hope and prayer that 
we've been able to, God's been able to use us to change some lives, that people are thinking about things in a new way. When we do the course, we ran through having a compassion for the lost, because that's of utmost importance. Charles Spurgeon, I'm going to read you a quote. The saving of souls, if a man has once gained love to perishing sinners and his blessed master, will be an all-absorbing passion to him. It will so carry him away that he will almost forget himself in the savings of others. He will be like the brave fireman who cares not for the scorch or the heat, so that he may rescue the poor creature on whom true humanity has set its heart. If sinners will be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our bodies, and if they will perish, let them perish with their arms about their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, at least let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions, and let no one go there unwarned or unprayed for. The verse here, or this uh, quote, he says, will be an all-absorbing passion to him. We just finished singing, you know, the wonderful cross, and one of the lines was, such a such a a thing that the Lord did for us demands my life, my soul, my all. And evangelism has to be an all-encompassing part of our lives. It just has to. We wouldn't want a firefighter coming to our house while our house is on fire who is afraid of running in. We don't want them standing outside looking and going, oh, I think it's too smoky and hot in that house, and leaving us there. But that's what we're doing if we're not out there sharing with others, because there are people who will die and will, and will go to hell. We talked also with everybody about why we use the law in witnessing, how we use the Ten Commandments to shine God's light on, um, on sin, to expose it. And we looked at the biblical reason for that. We looked at Galatians 3.24. We looked at Romans 7.7. 7. We looked at Romans 3.19, Romans 3.20, James 2.10. And there's other verses. But basically, we need to use the law to share with others. We looked at overcoming the number one obstacle to people sharing their faith, and that is fear. Fear. I don't want to be hurt. I don't want to be ridiculed. I'm not sure what to say. Um... I want to respect their beliefs. But if you honestly believe there's a heaven and you believe there's a hell, and if somebody is of another faith or an atheist or an agnostic or whatever it may be, and you don't share with them about the heaven and the hell and how to go to heaven, that's being selfish. Because we all die. We all face judgment. The Bible says so. Then we got into the meat of it, and we went through and practiced actually witnessing with each other. We did little breakouts, and we had conversations and practiced, and then a number of us hit the streets. We went downtown, Romans 10, just like John read just now. Rhonda was out, Dylan, Joel, Brandon, Jaron, Nick, Daryl, Gisla, John, Dave, Casey, myself. And I think I've had everybody, but I'm not sure, so if I missed you, I'm sorry. But we went down, downtown, and uh, we handed out some gospel tracts. And you know what? Sometimes people say, well, just handing gospel tract doesn't do anything. But John's just shared a story. I've just shared a story. Handing out a gospel tract can save a life for eternity. God can use it. Don't doubt the power of God.
but we also entered into some conversations out on the street. And for some of us, it was the first time sharing the gospel on the street. But what an amazing opportunity. What an amazing opportunity. And you have no idea how that will change somebody else's life. That's what it's all about. Actively going out and sharing the gospel because we're obeying the Great Commission because we care about others. And we always have to remember that everybody's going to die. 10 out of 10 people die. 100% of us will die. And that thought alone, that some of those people that die are going to go to hell, should cause us to really think about our priorities. We've been instructed by the Bible to share our faith with others. We've been given the Great Commission. And if you're out there and you're witnessing and I didn't look around and see hands, keep doing it. Keep doing it. But if you're not, just I encourage you to put it to prayer. To think about why you're not witnessing. And what is it? And is it your fear of man as opposed to God's commandments? And then weigh it. We talk about things, and John mentioned this, but I had this down in my notes too, and uh, I mentioned it to the group. But we talk about things that um, are important to us or that we think that are marvelous. I told the group about how a couple of years back, I had a, my back went out. I started walking with a cane. After I was walking with a cane for a while, it got so bad that I ended up uh, in bed. I wasn't well enough to even leave the town. Like if I in Mission, I don't know what you know, it's just a small town, but I couldn't even leave Mission to try and get therapy after, you know, from chiropractors or physiotherapists or any of that stuff. I just could not get out of bed. I couldn't sit in a car long enough. And in, then in our town of Mission, a tiny little place, we get something called spinal decompression. That spinal decompression, I got on that machine, and that was the last day that I walked with a cane. So you know what happened after I received that treatment? Anytime somebody had a bad back, you know what I did? I shared with them about spinal decompression. Why? Because it worked for me. It was important to me. I believed in, in the therapy. But do we believe in what Christ has done for us? Do we believe and understand exactly what he's given us with eternal life? And if we do, why aren't we sharing it? All of us are commanded to share with others. And you know what? There's a whole slew of people that I will never reach. And there will be people that you can reach, but that you can't reach. And that you will reach, but you can't. All of us are commanded to go out and share the gospel. There'll be people that will listen to you, but not you. So we all need to be going out and sharing our faith. It's vital. It's going to affect eternity for every single person. And so, again, I just want to say thank you for opening your church. Thank you for giving us this opportunity. It was a blessing. I appreciate it greatly. And um, Dave and uh, Brandon... Oh, he's at the back. Okay, he's down below. Are going to come up, and they're just going to show you a witnessing example that we use. And uh, 
after they do that, then John's going to just share with a little bit with, you know, why it's done like it is. Okay. Thank you and God bless. Now it's too high for me, Paul. My name's Dave, by the way. I'm from Chilliwack and uh, known Paul for a few years now. We've ministered together. Um, I have a family at home. I have a wife and I have three kids that are actually growing up. One's still in the house. She's 23 and we're helping her out that way. Uh, the others are growing up. One's an usher in my church. Uh, one of them still needs to be saved. And so we're praying for him. Uh, his name is Joe. If you want to keep him in your prayers, that'd be awesome. Anyway, what we're going to do here is going to be like a a trial of mock witnessing encounter, which is fairly typical what we do on the street. It's not perfect. It's not always the way it goes. You know, people do ask difficult questions at times. But we want to give you an example of what we typically do. And I think uh, John is going to explain probably more out of uh, Luke 18 as to why we're doing what we're doing or what I'm, why I'm sharing the way that I'm sharing, etc. So we're just going to do this mock encounter for you. Hey there, how are you doing? Do you get one of these? Hey, uh, no. What uh, is it? It's a trillion dollar bill. You can buy yourself a small country with that. <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks. Yeah, it's actually a gospel tract. Okay? okay, it's got a really important Christian message on the back. By the way, do you have a Christian background? No, no, just uh, my grandma went to church, but okay. I've never been into it. Okay, so not you. All right. Hey, can I ask you an important question? Would you consider yourself to be a good person? A good person? Yeah. Yeah, me? Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah, I'm pretty good. Yeah, would you mind if I asked you a few questions to see if that's true? Okay. Sure. Yeah, all right. Here's what we do. We typically use the Ten Commandments. Most people would agree that it's a really awesome standard of goodness. Mm -hmm. You know it's wrong to lie and to steal. Oh, and yeah. To, yeah. Right, right. So here, let me give you this. This is another gift for you. It's got a, it's a coin with the Ten Commandments on it. Okay. And what we'll do is we'll use that, those Ten Commandments like a mirror to show ourselves what we are in truth, okay? And okay. it's important for you to know that I'm not, I'm not trying to judge you and I'm not trying to say anything about me being better than you in any way. It's just showing you how you're going to do when you stand before God on, on Judgment Day because we're all going to give an account, right? Right. Make sense? Yeah, makes okay. sense. Okay, so let's just have a look at some of these commandments for a moment, all right? Okay. So we'll start with the ninth commandment. Um, it says, you shall not lie. How many lies have you told in your life? <clears throat> lies. I'd say a couple, but they were just when I was a kid, right? Okay. It doesn't really matter. Okay. So what do you call somebody who tells lies? A liar, I guess. Okay. So you're a what? I'm a liar. Okay. okay. Makes sense, right? We'll go along. If you murder somebody 20 years ago, uh, 20 years later, you're a what? I'm a murderer. murderer. So same idea with the lie, right? Okay. Okay. In your whole life, have you ever stolen anything, irrespective of the value, even if it's small? Hmm. I'd have to say I have, yes. Okay. So what do you call someone who steals something? They'd be a thief. A thief? Okay. So you're a what? I'm a thief. You're a thief. Getting hard. I know this is a little bit difficult, but it gets better as we go, all right? Okay. <laughs> all right? Stay with me. Um, the Bible says you shall not take the Lord's name in vain. Have you ever done that? You ever used terms like, oh my, G-O-D, anything like that? Yes, I have. You've done that? Do you know what that's called? No, what is it called? It's called blasphemy. It's okay. very serious, very serious thing with the Lord because basically the Lord has given you all you've got. He's given you your life. He's given you all that is precious to you, your clothing, your family, everything that is good. He's, his good hand, his gracious hand has given that to you, and you've taken his name and you've dragged it through the mud like a four-letter filth, filth word to express disgust. It's very serious. Okay, The Bible even says that God will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. All right. Now listen to this. How old are you, Brandon? I'm 17. Okay, you're about old enough for this one. All right. The Bible says, or Jesus said, you've heard it said of them of old, you shall not commit adultery. That's the seventh commandment. 
He says, but listen to what Jesus said. He said, but I say to you, whoever looks upon a woman to lust for her has committed adultery already within his heart. Have you ever done that? Yes, I guess I have. Okay, well, hold on for a second. Hold on to your shorts here, okay? This is, this is what you've admitted to, all right? By your own admission, you're not a good person. You're like the rest of us. By your own admission, you're a liar, a thief, a blasphemer, and an adulterer at heart. And you have to face God on Judgment Day. So if you were to stand before God on the Day of Judgment, and he were to judge you by that standard that we just went through, the Ten Commandments, that's only four of the commandments, there's another six, would you be innocent or guilty before God? I guess I'd have to say I'd be guilty. Right. So here's the here's the hard question, all right? Would you end up, therefore, in heaven or in hell? I guess if I'm guilty, I'd, I'd end up in hell. That's exactly what the Bible says, all right? The Bible says that all liars will have their part in the lake of fire. Okay, no thief, no blasphemer, no adulterer, no idolater can enter heaven, the Bible says. So in light of that, Brandon, it's, I know it's a tough thing to hear, but if God were just, and he does the right thing. Does it concern you that if he did the right thing, he would actually send you to hell for all eternity? Yeah, that, that really does concern me. Yeah, well, I'm really glad it does. You know, I've talked to people, it doesn't concern them that much, but it's so important that, it's, that it really concerns you because it concerns me. My friends and I are out here sharing this with people so that they understand what, what needs to take place. Do you think there's anything at all you can do to, to please God, to make that happen that's, that's going to help you? Hmm. I, don't, I don't really know. Okay. Well, there's a lot of people think that um, they think that maybe going to church or or uh, keep trying to keep the commandments, things maybe like that. Maybe I'm is, a good person if yeah, I do good. Yeah, you've already proven that you're not. Yeah. Okay, and and what what you've said already it actually <laughs> stems from the heart, right? Yeah. It it all comes from the heart. So, have you ever heard what God did for you so you wouldn't have to go to hell? No, no. I no. Haven't. Oh, this is the best part. This is the good news. All right, it's called the good news of the gospel. Okay, here's what happened. The Bible saw God. God saw um, our dilemma. Okay, he's perfectly just though, and because he's good and because he's just, he cannot just forgive you. If you say to God, you know, I'm really sorry, I just just let me go, it doesn't work that way. It's kind of like in a courtroom where you've committed a serious crime, like rape or murder or something. You stand before the judge, and the judge says, "Well, uh, Brandon, what do you have to say for yourself before I pass sentence?" And you say, "Well, judge, you know, uh, I'm really sorry. It was a long time ago, and I don't do those things anymore. In fact, I walk little old ladies across the street and stuff like that now." And it's really irrelevant to your case, though, isn't it? Because yes. if that's a good judge, he has to punish you, right? Right. Same idea. Same goes with God. In fact, his, his law is much harsher than man's, right? His standards are much higher. Okay? Here's the good news we were talking about. The Bible says that God sent his son into the world. God himself became a human being in the person of Jesus Christ. He lived a perfect, sinless life. He never broke any of the commandments like you and I have done. All right? He was perfect in thought, word, and deed. All right? He lived that perfect life. We know that at the end of his life there, he was taken by wicked men. He was scourged. He was whipped. He was beaten. He was nailed to a cross where he suffered and died. And he rose again from the dead, which proved actually he was who he claimed to be, which is God. All right? Okay. But what put, most people don't understand is that when Jesus was on the cross, and a lot of people tell me, you know, they've heard Jesus went to the cross for our sins and stuff. But what was happening on that cross was the wrath of God himself was being poured out on Jesus Christ in place of sinners. Okay, in place of anyone who would repent, that means turn away from your sin and trust in Jesus Christ and Him alone for your salvation, not in your own goodness, because I think we've established you don't have any, right? right, right. Okay, but if you'll repent and trust in Jesus Christ, He promises that person He'll re- He'll uh, remove your sins from you. Okay, He'll He'll take your your sins away and wash you clean, and He'll impute. It's just a fancy word for saying He'll apply the righteousness of Jesus Christ to your account. 
so that when God sees you, he sees you as perfectly righteous before him, and he can now allow you into heaven, and he'll give you a new heart with new desires. You'll be born again. Okay, that's what the Bible says. It's a thing called regeneration, where he changes your heart and makes you new on the inside. You'll begin to love the things that God loves and hate the things that God hates. So anything I've said here makes sense to you? Does that make sense? Yeah, that does. Yeah? Is there anything about it that doesn't make sense to you? No, so you're saying I have to accept Jesus as my personal Savior. Right. Right. Okay. Yeah, don't forget the repentance part. Repentance you can turn right. from your sins, right? Now, here's a here's a big question. What keeps you from doing that today? Well, nothing really. No? So, could you ask, answer me this question. When are you going to die? You could die any time. Yeah, it's true. So you could die today. Yeah. So how soon should you be thinking really serious about this? I should be doing it really soon. Yeah. So can I just encourage you... Um, you, would you like to pray now and I can pray for you afterwards? Or if not, if you're feeling uncomfortable with that, I, I just so encourage you to get home with God. Think about all these things we were talking about. This, look at the commandments that you've broken. Okay, all the times you've lied, stolen, lusted, all these things like that. And then think about Jesus Christ going to that cross when he should have just punished us, all right? Going to that cross to take the punishment that you deserve, all right? And let that break your heart. Let it sink in. And cry out to God for mercy. Cry out to him for, for the forgiveness that he offers you. And he promises that if, when you repent and trust in him, he will forgive you. He will give you everlasting life. Do you believe that's true? I do. I do. We would all, I'm so glad. man. I really, I'm really thankful for meeting you, all right, for you talking to me. It's such a blessing. And I have some more information here for you. Uh, it's got our church name stamped on the tract over this one here. Okay. And we're... Uh, we're here in Kelowna, and if we can help you out in any way, we've got our email address. Here's my email address. And uh, if I can help you in any way with any questions, stuff like that, we would love to see you again. We'd love Perfect. to talk to you and, and help you learn to grow in, in Christ if you get right with him, all right? Great. Would Thank you do you that? Very much. Well, you're very welcome. So glad we met. It's not a mistake. It's no accident that we Great. met. All right? Okay. God bless you. Thank you. All right. Take care. Hey, you know, that's, that's pretty much how it happens. And I know uh, we were... Um, Blessed and some, we had a couple of, of really neat conversations yesterday, just really along those lines. You know, it doesn't have to go exactly that way, but and it, it often doesn't go, you know, according to, you know exactly that way. But but it's really amazing when you when you present the the law of God to show people that they really don't have any righteousness of their own. That that they'll they they are. As was talked about in the videos we watched, you bypass the intellect and you're speaking then to their conscience. And really, that's what our Lord did in, in Luke chapter 18. So just with a, just in a, in a few minutes here, I just want to outline from, from Luke chapter 18. Uh, I said we'll go through this pretty quickly, but, but uh, verses 18 to 30, when they see where, where this actually happens, where this takes place, where, where our master um, used this in order to, to, show, um, to show a man his need of being saved. So here in Luke, Luke 18, 18, it starts with a rich ruler asked him, said, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, we don't usually have people walk up to us randomly and say, what can I do to be saved? Um, even for me as a pastor, that really doesn't happen. So, but we need to, to help people to understand their need of eternal life. You see, we're living largely in a post-Christian culture. We, we, we cannot assume that people know the gospel. In fact, we can assume that they don't know the gospel. You see, even in many churches, 
the, the true gospel, the biblical gospel, is not being proclaimed. People don't want to talk about the blood of Christ. They're, they're actually sanitizing, it's ironic that I use that term, but sanitizing even some of, some of the great hymns of faith. You know, we're going we're gonna to sing the solid rock. And um, our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Now, um, some of you here may watch Robert Schuller of the Crystal Cathedral. They actually changed the lyrics of that song to say, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' love and righteousness. You see, it's not comfortable. People don't like talking about blood. But without the blood of Christ, we are still dead in our sins and trespasses. Without the propitiation, without the, the, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ where the Father's wrath was poured out on him instead of us, he took the punishment that we deserved. That's the gospel. And that the, the righteousness of Christ was then applied to us. That's the gospel. People don't like talking about repentance. Repentance. People don't like hearing that you have to turn away from sin. People don't even like hearing that they're sinners. So what happens in a lot of places is people will, if they proclaim any form of gospel, what they'll do is they'll soften it so that it's not, it's, it's not offensive. But the cross is an offense to those who are perishing. But to those who are being saved, it is life. It is life. So we, we have no business trying to change the message to make it more palatable. This is the message that has been saving people since the beginning of time. As Old Testament believers looked ahead to the coming Messiah, and as, as believers after Christ looked to the, to the perfect sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So here in this passage, this rich young ruler, who's probably a leader in the synagogue, he said to Jesus, good teacher. And so Jesus used the same type of thing that we're talking about here. He, he picked up on the word good and says, why do you call me good? There is none that is good but God. But he's saying, you see, Jesus is saying to him that by saying that, that, that I am good, you are actually pointing to me as God. Okay, and this, the, you can't get that it, it, just in this passage. You obviously need to look in the wider context of Scripture to see that. But he says, none is good except God alone. And he's highlighting the fact that this rich young ruler thinks he is good. He has his own righteousness that he's relying on. So, so Jesus says to him, and this is the only time here that he does it exactly this way, but he says, you know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he's dealing here with those commandments that actually deal with our horizontal relationships, our relationship with each other. And, and this young man, in his self-righteousness, says, I have kept all of those. I have done that. Hands up here. If, if you have, have never been, if you have never stolen anything in your life or never dishonored your parents or never committed adultery even with your eyes or committed murder in your heart, Nobody except Jesus Christ has ever upheld that standard. But this man was so self-righteous that he couldn't see that. 
So Jesus here went on. He said, when the man says, all these I have kept from my youth, Jesus says, one thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute it to the poor. Jesus here is, is showing this man's guilt according to two of the commandments. One dealing with the relationship with other human beings and one dealing with the relationship with God. You see, this, this man was covetous. This man was focused on riches in this life. And he was failing in his obligation to the poor. But far more importantly, even than that, he was worshiping a false god. His money was his idol. And here, here was God standing before him. And he was so consumed with his treasures that he would not let go of them to follow Jesus. He went away sorrowful because he had great riches. So his money was his idol. The first commandment says, you shall have no other gods before me. His money was his God. He was relying on his God for his happiness. And so the commandments here, Jesus used the commandments like, like a surgeon with a scalpel to cut through this man's self-righteousness. And when we talk about the commandments, we can do the same with unbelievers. But what happens here? He walked away. He walked away. And so Jesus says, how difficult is it for those who have wealth, or to, in other translations says, to trust in riches, to enter into the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And the, the disciples are like, whoa. Really? If the standard is that high, who then can be saved? And Jesus says, what is impossible with men is possible with God. So salvation is from the Lord. And the Lord is pleased to work in the hearts sometimes of unbelievers to grant them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. And they repent of their sins and are saved. So Jesus here uses the commandments in order to show this man his need. If you walk up to somebody on the street, remember, we're living in a post-Christian culture. If you walk up to somebody on the street and say, you need to be saved, the person's going to think, saved from what? I'm not, you know, I'm not floating down a, a raging river. You know, I'm not trapped in a burning building. I don't need to be saved. In order to show them their need for salvation, you need to show them that they're lost. You need to show them their need. And by pointing out to them their guilt before a holy God, you are revealing to them their need. But we, we're not going to get 
hung up here on the, on the results because out of all the people that we shared the gospel with yesterday, nobody fell on their knees before the Lord and, and called out with a heart of repentance seeking forgiveness. Now, we don't know what God is going to do in their hearts down the track as they think about what we said. You see, the law of God is bound up in all of our consciences. We all know God's law in our hearts. Even the atheist knows that there is a God. There is really no such thing as an atheist. That person is willfully ignorant. Willfully, willfully ignorant. You proclaim the law to them and show them that they are guilty before a holy God, which they really already know. They're just totally focused on trying to deny that. So when you go to that person, maybe, just maybe, God might be pleased, perhaps not right there in front of you, but at some point down the track to save them. The lady that gave me the track, tract had no idea. The individual that gave Paul the tract had no idea. But even there, we're not going to be hung up necessarily on the results because, because out of faithfulness, out of love to God and to others, we proclaim the gospel and let God do the results. That's what Jesus did. Out of perfect obedience, he shared the gospel with that man who never repented. Never repented. But when we are faithful, when we are faithful, God is glorified. When we go outside of our comfort zone and take the gospel to somebody out of love for God and love for that person, God is glorified. So I hope and pray that, that you've been challenged with that here this morning, that, that you will be intentional Intentional, when you get up in the morning, you will ask the Lord to take you to somebody who needs to hear the gospel. You will ask him to help you to be faithful in every interaction. That he will help you to obey him for his glory, for your good, and for the good of the lost. Let's pray.